you know, when toddlers cry so hard, they kind of, <gasps> she was doing that. And I just thought, oh my gosh, what is happening here? Got to get her to calm down. I thought she's hungry. She's tired. And I handed her these apple slices and went to turn the key in the ignition. And right when I went to start the car, I could hear her choking. I started pleading with God. I just said, I will do anything. I will be a perfect person. I started bargaining. I'm like, please don't let this happen to her. And I saw her face go white. I was in the back seat with another friend and I was laying in her lap, just sobbing. And she was stroking my face or my hair and trying to sing to me. I called my dad. He was the only phone number I had memorized at the time. And I don't know what I said. Just Lucy choked, run our way to the hospital. Eventually a life flight helicopter landed and they just took her away. And I remember at one point looking at my husband, no one even asked us. We just knew we're going to donate her organs. This is Hope to Recharge. I'm Atana. I'm here to guide you and support you through your challenging times, navigating through depression, anxiety, and other mental health struggles. This episode is sponsored by our incredible sponsor from the beginning, BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com, the leading online platform for therapy. Many people come to me for help. And one of my questions are, have you been to therapy? Are you willing to go to therapy? I am not a therapist. I don't claim to be a therapist and I don't do the therapist work. And I think it's something that has to be done with a therapist side by side. Some people have been to therapy for many years and then they come to me to do the work. I often say if you haven't been to therapy and if you want to start working with me, you need to start working with a therapist as well. Very often, it is very expensive. BetterHelp is a leading online platform for therapy that is affordable. You don't have to leave your house. You can get it from the comfort of your sofa, your bed, your office. It's one click away. There are thousands of licensed clinicians on this platform. It's incredible. If you want to get 10% send off your first month, use the link in the show notes, betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Use the link below and start your therapy from the comfort of your home. Sometimes it's so overwhelming to go to therapy. Nowadays, most therapists are on Zoom. Most clinicians are on Zoom. Let's say you travel a lot. Let's say you just don't like getting out of your house, but you want a therapist. It's so affordable. It's worth taking a look. If you're thinking about therapy and you don't know where to start, go to betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. That's betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Millions of people from all over the world are using them. Start your wellness now. Hello, everyone. Hope you are doing well. I'm here with my dear friend, Molly Jackson. I know that we never met live, but I feel like you're like my good friend. <laughs> we know each other so well, but we never really met. Yeah. But we will meet. I call her my quarter Jewish friend that's probably not even Jewish. <laughs> I guess they like technically depends who you ask, but that's a whole other story. But I want to give the audience a background how we met. I think it was about two years ago, I was doing a whole segment on Hope to Recharge on grief loss. I think we had five to six episodes. And then I was researching grief after loss of a child. And when I Googled it, Molly's speech came up and I was watching it and I started crying. I'm like, oh, oh my God, I need to meet this person. I just need to meet this person. And I remember right away 
just sending an email. And I'm like, how do I find this person? She lives in Utah. She gave this speech at the church. And I remember that I kept on thinking, how do you recover from that story? But then when I was looking up what happened to Molly after, she was funny and laughing and cool and beautiful and living alive, an actress, just like everything. And I'm like, how does that work? What happened? And we started texting and talking and talking and talking. And I said, Molly, I want to bring you on because you have so much to share about grief, about living during grief, how to give permission for grief, how to also understand that different people have different stages of grief all the time and grief doesn't end. So thank you for joining me here. Yes. The amazing thing about you is that speech has had over 2 million views. But you, it's not just that you happened upon my speech, it's that you actually took action and said, I want to connect with this person. And that is special to me. So Mm. it didn't just happen because you randomly found me. It happened because you were proactive and that's special and powerful. And I'm glad you did. So yeah. And when I meet heroes in life, and I really call people like you heroes, I want to learn from them. I just want to learn through adversity, how you get through adversity, because I believe everybody has some kind of adversity in life. No one's here scot-free in this world. And one person's challenge can be a lesson of how somebody could take those tools for a different challenge. Right. And for me to just get to know people like you is a treasure, a real treasure for life. I'm so grateful. I believe that when I started Hope to Recharge, it was in order for me to find heroes like you. So let's go straight into the story. Okay. Because I'm sure the audience wants to know the story. I'm going to just share a little bit from what I know. So you had a daughter by the name of Lucy. Mm -hmm. Did Lucy love pink because you call your pink dress Lucy's dress? She didn't have a particular favorite color that I know of. Her blanket she loved was yellow, but it's just the color I decorated with for her nursery. And when she passed away and people said, what should we wear to the funeral? I just picked that bright, vibrant pink because to me it symbolizes her the most. So I don't really know that it was necessarily her favorite color, but she did have some Crocs that she loved that were pink. And she'd say, cute shoes, cute shoes, even airplanes passing overhead. She wanted them to look at her shoe. So I do associate pink with her for sure. So So Lucy was how old when she passed away? She was two weeks away from turning two. And she was our firstborn, which is significant as a mother. Mm. I don't claim that to say like my loss was worse or harder, but I have seen some studies about losing your firstborn being a more significant impact. I mean, she made me a mother. She And she was our only child at the time. So it doesn't matter how old your child was or what their birth order is or how they died or whatever. It is a tremendous loss regardless. But all I know from my perspective is she made me a mom. She introduced me to this whole world of motherhood and love that I didn't know existed and sacrifice. So we were busy planning her second birthday party and it was all going to be Peter Pan themed. And she had a whole bunch of teeth and was talking and watching walking and laughing and she was a personality and fully healthy. So when she had her accident, which is why I mentioned the teeth, because she choked on an apple that I can go into, it was so unexpected. So I had packed up snacks to go to church. I was fully dressed. I was ready. I was so proud of myself. I had sliced up this big, beautiful red apple. It was blue. I remember the knife was blue. My mom had just bought it for me because every time she came to our house, she complained that our knives were so dull. 
Mm. and just not very nice. And she's very into cooking and gourmet things. So she bought me this knife, this big red apple. I had animal crackers and we made our way to church. And she was super, super fussy that day. She had been up late the night before at a wedding where we had seen all of our friends and she was just showing off and so cute, but it meant she was tired and she just could not be consoled during the meeting. She was very disruptive. I had to take her outside into the hallway and into the foyer. And she was having a two-year-old tantrum that I finally thought the meeting's almost over. Let's just leave. Let's just leave a little early. So I go outside and I buckle her in her car seat. You know, when toddlers cry so hard, they kind of, <gasps> and she was kind of doing that. And I just thought, oh my gosh, what is happening here? Got to get her to calm down. So I thought she's hungry. She's tired. And I handed her these apple slices and went to turn the key in the ignition. And right when I went to start the car, I could hear her choking. And I turned off the car. I raced out. I unbuckled her from her car seat. And I yelled for my husband, who was across the parking lot. And he raced toward us. And he's like, it's fine. It's going to be fine. He got her out of the car seat. And he started pounding on her back. And it was not coming out. And her eyes, she just looked at me like, mom, help me, what's happening? And I started to panic. And my rational attorney husband just was like, stay calm, it's fine. But the more he tried the Heimlich, he realized this is not dislodging. So he raced next door to the fire station. It was right next door around the fence and started pounding on the door. And are you screaming? Are you frozen? I, at this point, I am kind of yelling, but people are still in the building because the meeting is still going on. So you're alone. Right. And I don't know, like I had a cell phone, but it was in the car and I'm just starting to lose cognitive function. And the firemen were not there. It was locked. They were actually out grocery shopping. And a green Subaru, I remember, pulled into the parking lot of the church while I was running this way to the fire station. And I just started yelling, help, help, call 911. And I made my way to the fire station. And that man, his name's Trent. I didn't know him at the time, but now we're friends. He called 911 and I think he went into the church building and started alerting people and they all flooded out from the church building. The paramedics arrived, the firemen arrived and they did like a trach. It's like this thin little metal thing. It actually pushed the apple piece into one of her lungs, which is pretty dangerous, but it's better than obstructing her airway. And there was talk of doing a trach. Does anyone have a pocket knife? At that point, I was spinning. I was just in shock and I was laying on the cement shaking and I could not move. And eventually a life flight helicopter landed and they just took her away. And a couple of men carried me to my friend's car and just laid me in the back seat. You didn't go in the helicopter? No, they don't let you. What, they took the baby alone? Yeah. Oh my God. I started pleading with God. I just said, I will do anything. I will be a perfect person. I started bargaining. I'm like, please don't let this happen to her. And I saw her face go white. And oh my God. I know. I cannot believe I lived through this. I live in a mountain town. We raced down the mountain in the car. My husband went in a separate car and... By the time we got to the hospital, they had to wheel me in in a wheelchair. I was in complete... In a coma state. Shock. Yeah. And she was technically still alive. And I thought, oh my gosh, 
She's going to make Did they it. prepare you? Did they say, okay, we know who you are. We know you're your baby. Like- yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they knew. It's all such a blur. But yeah, they certainly knew that we were coming. Everything had been radioed. My husband actually beat the helicopter. That's how fast they were Whoa. driving. So, I mean, it's about a 20-minute drive down the canyon. Like the longest eight minutes of your life? It took me 15 to 20 took my husband about eight minutes. How did you drive? My friend drove. I was in the back seat with another friend and I was laying in her lap, just sobbing. And she was stroking my face or my hair and trying to sing to me. I called my dad. He was the only phone number I had memorized at the time. And I don't know what I said. Just Lucy choked, we're on our way to the hospital. And they took her straight back into the ICU. And I thought, okay, she's still breathing. Like somehow they stabilized her. Oh, she was breathing. They stabilized her and they were helping her breathe. With a trach? Yes. And I thought if they can just go in and get that apple piece out, then she'll be okay. Like I was just thinking so simply, just take that apple out. But really she'd been without oxygen for like 21 minutes. And oh my God. I know. It's just every parent's worst nightmare. They did eventually go in and take it out just to get it out of... They did a surgery? like like Yeah. She was on life support for four days, but the brain damage was just too severe. And you sat by her side for four days, seeing no brain wave like you can see. Yeah, they did some tests. She was pretty much brain dead. And it's all such a blur. We had so many friends and family come. Just people descended with love and support. They wanted to do anything they could. And I remember at one point looking at my husband. No one even asked us. We just knew we're going to donate her organs. My husband and I are very different, but we've always had this spiritual connection connection. and alignment. Yeah. And we view the world a bit differently and have all these differences. But that was one of those moments that we just knew without talking that that was the right thing to do. And on the fourth day, I crawled in the bed with her and they wheeled us down the hallway. They had to disconnect her from the machines, but they had to still keep her heart beating enough so they could harvest her organs. So there was a surgeon just standing there with the hand pump. And they said, when we make it to this yellow line in the hallway, you can't go past Oh, that. And then you know that it's the last time you're going to see her? Yeah. Oh my God. I know. So I just had to give How do you say goodbye so fast? And I walked down the hallway and there was my mom sitting there and I just sat in her lap and just held me. I thought, I think I might die. I think I'm going to die. From pain. Yeah. The pain just is so overwhelming, takes over everything. And then I remember this higher part of myself saying out loud, hey, these are just emotions. These are feelings and they're not going to kill me. And I can do this. I started this self-talk journey of, okay, these are emotions and they're hard to feel, but I won't die. I didn't realize it then, but that was my first kind of small step in this journey of self-coaching. And I just told my daughter this morning when I dropped her off at dance, she's on a team where she's younger and smaller and having to push herself. And I said, Zoe, do you know what I think is the number one sign of someone who is going to be successful? And she's like, no, what? And I said, someone who is willing to feel any emotion. So true. And not run away from it. So true. I just want to give the audience a background. This was 15 years ago. Zoe was born after. And Zoe, she's 11 now. Yeah. So we came home to an empty house after saying goodbye to Lucy. And it was just the most twilight zone, traumatic. No one had ever uttered the word nervous system to me. I just took Ambien to sleep. I didn't even take antidepressants. I just did not have the help I really needed. 
And then six or seven weeks later, I got pregnant with our son, Peter. That's bravery, by the way. (sighs) No? I didn't see it that way because we had kind of sort of talked about having another child before Lucy had passed away. But my postpartum was so severe when she was born that I was like, I don't think I can do that again. I'm not ready for that. But when she died, to be honest, my attitude truly was fine. Whatever, God. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Bring it on. I'm not in charge of my life. You're going to give me a kid or take away a kid whenever you want. Fine. I'll just have sex and see what happens. It was almost like an F you. I'm not in charge of my life, so I get him to do whatever I want. And I guess you can do whatever you want. I wasn't mad. And it wasn't a nice, sweet surrender of like, I'm not in charge of my life. Right. But it was kind of like. Like a sarcasm. Show me what's next. Okay. You're not really asking me. So show me what's next. Exactly. And then I got pregnant and I'm like, okay. And it was nice to have a newborn in my arms by the one year anniversary of Lucy's death. Were you hoping it was a girl? No, I didn't care. I mean, Vic was hoping it was a boy because he's just like. Too close. Yeah. Yeah. But I still wasn't asleep. I was an absolute wreck. For the whole pregnancy. Oh, and the first couple years of his life. I mean, I don't even know how I survived. I was having panic attacks. So her liver went to a six-month-old baby girl and her kidneys went to a 35-year-old father with four children. Do you know that? No. We were so broken. We didn't have the wherewithal to write to them. You're not actually allowed to know. All we knew is that they both lived in California and they were both Latino family. Why are you not allowed to know? Well, because of privacy and HIPAA laws and all this stuff, we were allowed to write to them, but only through the organ donation. What if they wanted to meet you? They can do that too, but they have to go through the organ donation team and they have to kind of vet it and read it and then ask us because it's so touchy so tricky but not everyone some people it's too painful and they don't want to know so we did send a letter to the families but it wasn't for two or three or four years and one of them did respond and i remember her name was lighty michelle but for some reason we never like because this little girl is a big girl now yeah she's lucy's and she has something of lucy in her that i made in my body yeah like it's so wild it's just so wild and then this father and i'm like I am connected on a cellular level. And I've never thought of it until this moment. I've thought of Lucy, but then I'm like, but wait, I made Lucy. Right. So I help these people. Yeah. I guess when I'm feeling like a loser, I need to remember that. A loser? Well, you know, you have days where you're just like, what What am I doing with my life? And I'm so scattered. And like, what? Yeah. That's why when you called me a hero, I'm like, really? I think that people that don't know you don't understand how much you do. And it's mind boggling. Really? Yes. I mean, I know I've helped people. I know they've heard my message or my story or they've heard me speak. But on a day to day level, you know, I still struggle. I still think, why am I not making more money or I need to manage my time better or I want my house to look nicer. You just spiral into these. But that doesn't sum up who you are. We can always want to be better and work on whatever. That doesn't mean that you're not awesome now. We're constantly evolving. That's true. That's so sad for me to think that you sometimes have the days because I wish I could be there in your ear and say, Molly, who the heck are you talking to? (laughs) Because it's not the Molly I know. 
I know, but I'm a performer and we are hard on ourselves and competing and standing in front of mirrors and how tall and how small is your waist and are you going to get the part? And I mean, that's just ingrained in me. Yeah. Not healthy. Then I live in Park City, Utah, which is a resort town filled with so much money and accomplishment. So my perspective gets so skewed on success. That's why when you said before we started recording, are you you sure you want to do this? I'm like, yes. Connecting with people, sharing my story. It's what grounds me. It's what reminds me of my purpose. And even though I'm scattered and in the middle of a remodel and I have so much going on, like I need this. She's a huge influencer. I watch her to laugh, which is so (laughs) crazy because she makes people laugh. Like she has such a joy in her. And I'm like, wow, that's the next level incredible part of you that you made sure that that spark in you that's so talented as an actor, as a human, as a giver, didn't die with Lucy. You didn't let that part of you die with Lucy. That's true. And you thrive to make people smile. Some people are like, this lady's too much. So let them go go, like moveon.org. If they don't like you, go elsewhere. We love you. And don't minimize that part of you that's so incredibly full and alive. So how many years after Lucy died, did you do that speech? At what point did you say, okay, I'm ready to face the world to share? Well, honestly, I started blogging right away. I've always been a writer and I love expressing and, you know, it's part of my creative brain. So I had already been blogging. And then when she passed away, I just continued blogging. I thought I have to process this. And I didn't know this was the phrase or the term at the time. But I realized now, like I needed a witness. People need a witness Mm. to their pain. Like you cannot fully heal until you have a witness. Is that empathy, sympathy? What is that? That's a good question. It's just the human condition of needing to be seen. I think Brene Brown talks about it, bearing witness to the trauma. Yes. That's why we have AA. That's why we have therapists. That's why little kids are like, look at me, mom. Look at me. Watch this. Mm. There is something about being seen. Yeah. It says, I exist. There's a woman I love named Susan David. And she opens her TED Talk by saying this phrase that they say in South Africa. And the phrase is sawabona, sawabuena. It's S-A-W-U-B-O-N-A. I see you. And by seeing you, I bring you into existence. Wow. Wow. And that is what the gift that I try to give people when I share my story or I try to listen with intent and grace is like, I am seeing you. Like, this is not just something in your mind or this is not just a burden you have to bear alone. And I love that phrase. So that is what I started doing. I started blogging because I didn't realize it, but on a primal level, I was like, I need a witness. I have to have a witness. I cannot just hold this pain by myself. I need other people to say, holy cow, I see that pain. Whoa, that's incredible and too much. And how can I help? Mm. So I'm blogging. I'm sharing, I'm processing, and people are reading. Oh, really? Oh, and where are you posting all these blogs? It was on, I called it hopesmilingbrightly.com. And how do people know of you? Like, how did they find it? Because there was news articles when Lucy died. And I do have a lot of friends. I have a large circle between all my performing friends and my college friends and just my extroverted personality. I have a large circle of friends mm-hmm. and acquaintances. So it spread that way as well. 
So then people thought, oh, this girl, she's articulate and has this powerful story. I wonder if she would come speak. So people started asking me to come speak for things. And they would found out I sing. And so in the Mormon culture, we call them firesides, which I guess harkens back to sitting around a fire and telling stories and singing. We call it a kumzitz. Is a kumzitz a Hebrew word? I love that. So I would do firesides and I would sing, I would share my story and I would speak for big, huge organ donation ceremonies. Like oh, really? They wanted to find someone that could share their story. And that was four, five, six years after she passed away. And that's when I thought, wait a minute, my background's in performing. I love being on stage. I'm a writer. I have a powerful story. I'm also funny. I can captivate an audience. Wait a minute. I can actually do this for a career. And it took me a long time to believe in myself and to also view it in the right perspective of not, yeah. I'm capitalizing on my daughter's death. Oh like, my that God. Just felt oh my God. Weird and wrong. But at the same time, I'm like, I am sharing something valuable. Mm. And it's helping me heal and it's helping other people. So I had to really reframe it and have. How did you get there? Did you have someone helping you through it? It was just like I have a public speaking mentor and I had to have people basically give me permission. Like, Mm. you're not capitalizing on it in a gross way. You're helping people. Yeah. I've been doing that for quite a while. I'm writing a book. I don't have a speaking agent, which is ridiculous because I'm so good at it. You're so good at it. And if I had an agent, I would be speaking once a week and making great money. So why are you not? I don't know. I've told myself like, oh, it's too hard or I have ADD or I haven't taken the time to do it or I don't want to be a weird public speaker. Like I don't have all the answers. Mm. I don't want to be looked at as I'm here to tell you guys. I love Mel Robin. She does that. She teaches lessons, but I don't know why I don't give myself permission to be a teacher. I don't want to be seen as like, I have all the answers. But maybe that is the teaching that we don't have all the answers and we can still show up and help. We don't have to be perfect to help, right? Yeah. We don't have to be perfect to help because there is no perfection. And when we think we're perfect, that's the imperfection. What are we doing for ourselves? What do we want to be? What do we want to work on? What's important to us? How can we cultivate these small changes in our brain, in our day-to-day life with our own tools? I call working with me the VIP program because I handhold you through the process. And sometimes the process is very lonely and hard and frustrating. And you want to just make sure you get it right to guide you through it with somebody that went through it. Sometimes you need a therapist, a psychiatrist, a coach, and somebody like me, somebody that went through the same thing, the same challenge as I did. And I love working with people that are ready to do the work because it is expensive. It's a lifelong investment into yourself, into your future. When you start working with a therapist, with a coach, or with someone like me, you're investing into your long-term stability, into your long-term mental health. People often ask me, can I work with you? How many times? What does it look like? And I say, it's not about how many times. What are you willing to do to show up, to work on yourself, to make the changes? How ready are you? Because if you're not ready, the investment will go south. You could say, I don't know where I want to go. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't even believe it can, but I'm no longer willing to stay in this position where I am now. Choose yourself. What are you willing to do to bring awareness to yourself, to your mental health, to your stability, to change? How are you going to impact yourself that you will impact the world? If you want to work one-on-one with me, link is in the show notes. Happy to answer any questions that you have. One-on-one with Matana. Schedule a free 30-minute consultation that we can see if you are ready. Be ready for change. Be ready to work hard. Be ready to see a different you. 
How did you survive the marriage? Because a lot of people say that marriage really can take a hit after a child's death. Because what I understood is that there's a different version of yourself that was never there. So you're basically meeting each other in a different place that you never knew each other. You know how they say like power and wealth really reveals a person's true character? Sarah Blakely says, whatever you are when you're poor, it will be highlighted when you're rich. So make sure you're very good before you become rich because it's going to highlight who you are. Grief is that your true character really comes out because you're so broken. You are spiritually bankrupt. I was a shell of a human. There's so much beauty to it as well, though. There is no ego anymore. It is gone. Forever? No, no. (laughs) I wish. Like, I would live in a tent the rest of my life if I had Lucy back. I mean, what's truly important is made so clear and evident, and you don't care about your clothes, the kind of car you drive. It's almost like your pure spirit. All You were just walking around as just a spirit because you're so broken. Like a ghost walking around. You're like, wait, there's a world happening. I'm not really a part of it. Oh, yeah. But I have to go through the motions. Yep. And people are like, how often are you praying? And I'm like, praying? Every breath is a prayer. Every (sighs) breath is a prayer because I'm just, I'm even alive and I don't know how I'm going to live one more second. So every breath is a prayer. So all of this to say, yes, a marriage, you're so broken down to your bare nothingness and grieving and hurting so much. How do you take care of each other? Because that's usually what a marriage is, but in this case, it's like- You're surviving. Everybody's surviving. In some ways, it helped us cling to each other. And in other ways- It was like this. So we both went to therapy, couples therapy, individual therapy. We finally got on antidepressants. We just kept plugging away. And Did you grieve very differently? We didn't even get much of a chance to grieve because he had to go back to work. Like two weeks later, how do you go back to work and care about, oh, I got in a car accident. I need an attorney. And he's like, okay, well, my daughter died. I didn't sleep. Like, I don't know how he did it. He would cry in his sleep, in his dreams. And then here I am pregnant and crazy and hormonal. Like, we really have survived a lot. So, like I mentioned, that spiritual connection we've always had when we knew we needed to donate her organs, that's really kept us. And we've also had a good physical, like we're attracted to each other, praise the Lord. So our sex life has not been an issue in our marriage, really to speak of. I mean, there's always little whatever, but not really. So that's big. And then just who else is going to love and know Lucy as much as we did? Yeah. You have something shared. Yeah. We've struggled financially, which is such a burden on a marriage. Mm. So we do have 15 years under our belt. We have found ways to find happiness and cope. And we've had two more kids and we're making it. But there's just some deep, deep seated trauma there. And whenever we go through hard times, it's hard not to spiral back to that panicky place of loss. And that pits of hell. Because you're like, I know the worst can happen because it happened. Right. Now he lost right. his job or this is happening or whatever the case is. And you lose hope when you're in the unknown because hope wasn't there for you when you were hoping in the parking lot. You held on to hope and then it didn't show up. But miracles came in other ways. Mm. And we decided to choose hope. We decided to envision a future where we did have another child or we were opening gifts on Christmas morning. And that cavity that was carved by our pain, if you allow it, it can become a receptacle for joy. And so we have had moments just on a family hike or on a road trip where we look at each other, we look at our two living children and we're like, can't believe this is our life. 
We never thought that day that driving home from the hospital that we could ever get this far. So Mm -hmm. there's the ugly, difficult, heartache side of grief. And then there's just the beautiful side of, I live in a world where I know pain and I know how to love others. And I know how to live in hope and how to treasure my life. And I have someone waiting for me in the next life. You know, like there's just all these beautiful parts to it as well when I'm in a healthy space. Right. Do you give yourself permission to go to the, I don't even call it the unhealthy, I call it the human part, because I don't believe that there's really a goal of healing from such a thing. How? There's no way. There's coping. I don't know if there's healing, is there? I think so, but it doesn't mean wholeness. I've given a speech before about scars. Yeah, I will heal. Like that wound, I won't always be gushing and in trauma, but there will always be signs. You know, those scars will always show, Mm. but they can be seen as beautiful or I can try to hide them away and cover them up and hate them. So there is healing, but it's not going to be flawless. I wonder if your acting is basically saying that I can put on this face and this face and I can act, but the scars are still there. Like it's kind of revealing different parts of yourself. Because just like you're saying, I'm hiding, but the scars are there because it's acting. Yeah, but I never act like someone I'm not. I mean, unless I'm getting paid to. No, right, right. Like you did that branding for that soap or the deodorant. It was so darn funny. It was years ago, right? Yeah, I think the memory just popped up. It was so funny. And I was like, how does someone go through such trauma and know how to be able to not stop life there? And you gifted joy to the world. You gift joy because you're a comedian. You're funny. Thank you. I mean, it did shut down for a while. It did, but I had to choose. She died in 2008 and it was during the 2008 Olympics. And I remember watching Michael Phelps and they do all those montage stories of this gymnast was raised in poverty and da, 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 da. Now she, whatever, you know, they do the little stories. And I remember sitting there and I was like, this is my story and I'm going to overcome. And I'm going to, I don't know if it's the storyteller in me or the actress or my ego wanting to be like, I will one day be recognized as the woman who da, 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 da. But why not? I can choose that hundred percent. And I remember watching those montages and being like, oh, "I'm one of them." Like, yeah, this is my story. And I know people in my life that I look up to, and I'm like, "That's their story, and they're amazing, and they're walking around, and they're inspiring other people." And oh, that's gonna be me. Like, okay, it's time to take ownership of this story. So, what is your mission to continue Lucy's legacy and to continue life, like with your other two children, for your marriage, for yourself, for Molly, no. for Molly the actress, for the dreamer, for the singer, for the performer? Well, I guess my dream is just to inspire others by my very existence. Just by existing and living and laughing, I want to just inspire people and show them that there is joy that is possible after loss. And whether I do that on big stages or to millions of people, or whether I do it because I just have a nine to five job and I am a joy and a light to my coworkers or the customers, that's my hope and my goal. And I know I'll always sing and I'll always act in one capacity or another and just to carry on in joy and to make Lucy proud of me for who I am and how I live. And I don't love the hustle culture and the fact that I have to do so much self-promotion and 
the more people who know you and the more people who listen. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know if that's good for my mental health, but I do love speaking. I just step on that stage and I'm so at home. My short-term goal is to finish my book, finish my house, and then we'll see what happens next. So. And you started a podcast? Started a podcast, The Commodity of Connection. And you started it on Lucy's birthday, right? Was it? It was on her day. They're very close, right? Yes. June 11th. May 22nd is when she died. June 11th is her birthday. Are you proud of me that I remember yes. that, by the way? <laughs> June 11th. June 11th will always be in my mind now as Lucy's day. Aww. Yeah, really. June 11th is Lucy's day. I just have a quick question about your children. What's it like to have children that didn't know your oldest? They don't know their sibling. And you talk about her and you talk about yeah. her. And what's it like for them? I know they love her. I know they know how special and tender and difficult it is. Peter doesn't always like going to the cemetery, but they do talk about her. And when they're little, they would draw pictures of our family and include her. Oh, that's so adorable. I know to them it's this obscure, but I think when they become adults, it will take on a new meaning and perspective. I know sometimes Peter doesn't like to talk about it. He knows how painful. It's sad. They're like, this is sad. This is sad. But then there are other times that I think they feel the sacredness of it. Does Zoe look like her? Yes. She had red hair? Lucy was blonde. Like you? Yep, but they have the same face. <laughs> wow. So you keep on saying this is what she would look like at this age. Yeah, they definitely had different body types, but their faces are so similar. Mm, wow. I really thank you for being my friend. First of all, being my friend, like you bring me so much joy and inspiration. And I thank technology for things like this. That I get to meet you. You're in Utah. I'm in New York and we get to chat and I get to learn from you, even though I never met you and your grind working at the ski resort. You are such a hustler. You're such a hustler, really. And like to find these moments that you live alive, the dancing in the kitchen to being real. You're so real. You're just there. You say what everybody doesn't want to admit. You give permission to be human. You know, Tal Ben-Shahar always talks about, he's the Happiness Study Academy that I've been in for the past four years, but he's been my mentor since I was recovering from depression, I think 13 years mm -hmm. ago. And he said, the first goal for happiness is permission to be a human. Oh, yeah. And so many of us don't give ourselves permission to be human. So I'm grateful that you are my live mentor <laughs> and I get to see you on Instagram whenever I go. You're one of the only ones that I watch their reels. I'm not a story watcher, yeah. but you're one of the only ones that I'll like, okay, let's see what Molly is up to. What is she up to? Is she skiing? Is she remodeling? Is she dancing in the kitchen? Is she on a gig? Is she on a speaking? Where is she? What is she up to? <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I'm so grateful that you shared your story. I'll let you go, Molly. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I feel like I want to get on a plane and go to Utah right now and give you a hug. Thank you. Thank you for listening till the end. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. And Mental Health Together is better. You being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So 
So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com and see what other offerings we have there for your mental health well-being. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Bye till next time. Looking to reduce your anxiety and stress, relax your muscles, or get a better night's sleep? Check out Maxifies.com, 100% legal hemp, where you can find doctor-formulated, lab-certified, high-quality CBD oils, tinctures, and other items, cultivated, grown, harvested, and packaged in the United States, and available in different sizes and strength formulas. Check out Maxifies.com, that's M-A-X-I-F-Y-Z.com, and use coupon code HOPE to get 10% off your order, plus free shipping. That's Maxifies.com.